0: Well, here we are again, Stu. It's the pragmatics. We haven't uh, we haven't collected up for a little bit. We've been uh, quite busy over the last uh, little while. Here, uh, you've been moving around. I've been moving around. And well, look, Desmo, it's the,
1: it's the summer in Canada, and um, you know, for those few months, we gotta we gotta get stuff done. And there so, was a
0: summer. We had a real summer here.
1: And and I know our
0: uh, our growing
1: listening listenership, listening group, listeners, audience. Well, there, there you go. We can use that word, audience. Our, 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 uh, our audience is growing, and I know they've been waiting for some time for our next episode. Episode three is here. We're we're pretty jazzed about it. We got a uh, a wonderful guest on today, which I think is going to generate some some really healthy conversation on a topic that is near and dear to all of us, but uh, we don't often talk about it. At least not at uh, a high level, or 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 maybe an educated. Level, which is uh, which is food. You know, you and I talk a lot about wine, but uh, we don't talk a lot about about food and, and specifically sustainability and and traceability. So, uh, Deborah Wilson from Trust Bix will be joining us in a little bit, and uh, I think that's going to be a uh, an engaged conversation.
0: Yeah, I'm 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 stoked about uh, this subject. Uh, obviously, there's uh, lots going on uh, out there in the the food and ag world uh some of it uh, and we, we we talked off air about you know just some of the uh, maligned uh you know these industries are just just getting uh, getting killed by uh by the the alarmists and we we definitely want to touch on 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 some of this and what what these industries are doing uh that deb should be able to uh let us know about uh some of the the solutions and uh um some of the things that they're doing that are improving these industries uh, by miles and acres. So uh, look, definitely looking forward to it. Um, other things that are going on in the world, uh, you, have, you haven't been looking at the news, you said, hey? Well, but,
1: uh, you know, I've been traveling. I've been, I've been doing a uh, rock and roll road show down yeah. to Las Vegas. Didn't win any money, but... Um, Vegas, hey? Thanks for asking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I've been on the Tundra tour. You, you, so you, you've been heading north, I've been heading south, but I, I'm going to guess that the landscape looks very similar. Yes, probably in some some it, places. Yeah, I think I was sharing between Idaho and Las Vegas, Nevada. There's 600 kilometers of Mars. You know, if you if your car breaks down or you go off the road, it's
0: um, you know, you're you're gonna get a good night's sleep. You know, outside <laughs> of the the critters. <laughs> right on. A little bit of news happening. Alberta's got a new premier. Maybe we'll touch on that a little bit a uh, little bit later. Uh, you know, being that we're you know. Originally Alberta folks, uh, obviously we're, we're interested in what's going on in that province. We'll talk about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's exciting times. I mean, somebody who kind of, you know, made a splash about a decade ago, took a little trip out into the wilderness and has come back. And, you know, it'll be inter- interesting to see what Miss Smith, you know, does for a province that uh, that frankly needed a, a bit of a change. So we can talk about that a little bit later. Speaking of the province, the uh, NHL season uh, officially begins in a few days. Des looks like our team uh it's looking looking good this year any thoughts on the Oilers
0: well the th- thoughts are all good okay. right and the nice moves uh you know for 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 a long time we were a young inexperienced team and I read a headline saying <laughs> that they're going to be a, an experienced veteran team now I, <laughs> like overnight I don't know what happened but uh, <laughs> yeah let's talk about them I'm, I'm excited about the uh the uh the NHL the Oilers and you know Calgary I like the, uh, the opportunity. You know, we met them in the playoffs, and uh, it was a good old-fashioned uh, Battleville, Alberta, and I'm looking for more of that.
1: Yeah, man, I think it's going to continue this year. A couple of good squads. Calgary made some, some real nice changes, so we'll uh, maybe chat a little bit about hockey uh, in a bit. Um, but how about we get on with, uh, with Deborah and uh, have the conversation of the day, which is sustainability, traceability, and, and all things uh, agri-food, I'd love that. All right. Well, look, we've got Deb online. So maybe by way of quick introduction, uh, Deborah Wilson is Chief Industry Engagement Officer for an organization called Trust Bix. Uh, they trade as TBix on the venture, if anybody wants to look them up, or Uh Deb can give all the credentials and, and necessary coordinates uh, when she's on the show. Uh, I've known Deb for 30-plus years. I will uh, play the disclaimer that we are uh, related through marriage, but um, not our marriage, of course. She is my uh, mother-in-law, and uh, I I have known her to be very, very involved in all things agriculture for as long as I've known her. Uh, Her role as chief industry engagement officer at TrustBix, I think, is a perfect role for her and her experience and expertise, and uh, she just brings a, a tremendous amount of, of knowledge and insights into an area, like I said, Des, that, that should be near and dear to all of us because we we should know what's on our plate when we, uh, you know, when we cut into it. So uh, with no further ado, I'd like to introduce uh, Deborah. And Deb, maybe you can tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, your background, and maybe trust Bix, and then that'll, you know, throw us into some, I think, healthy conversation about the food industry.
2: Great. Thanks so much, Stu. and. Good to see, uh, talk to you again, Des. Uh, my background is basically 40 years in the egg industry um, with a marketing and sales background, with a, some business m- smattered in through that business background. And about seven years ago, seven and a half years ago, I was uh, hunted to come and work for this company. They had taken over a software program from the Canadian Cattlemen's Association. And at the same time that that happened, McDonald's came the year before in 2014. They had made a global statement that by 2016, they would be serving a percentage of sustainable beef in their restaurants. They did not qualify that at the time with how much sustainable beef or where it was going to happen, but uh, they looked around the world and they chose Canada. They chose Canada for a number of reasons. We do have uh, livestock traceability. Uh, we have a tight supply chain. We're good proximity to McDonald's head office in Chicago, and there was a willingness, and and we had this existing Bix platform. We took it over, started working with the consultants from McDonald's, and quickly got sucked up into the funnel of sustainability and what it means and how we define it. Um, I pounded up and down the road with the consultants for McDonald's uh, trying to entice producers into joining into this uh, program, registering on our platform so that we could track and trace their cattle and understand whether the operations were audited for sustainability. The consultants at that time did 150 iterations of what defines sustainable beef. Uh, We got through that first year, we had a big celebration at this Calgary Stampede Grounds, we all patted one another on the back, we were successful, we tracked 8,697 head of cattle, and we were able to say that we effectively were serving a percentage of sustainable beef in McDonald's restaurants in Canada. Everything laid low for uh, about uh, six months, And Cargill, who interestingly produces all the patties for McDonald's in Canada, came to us and said, "Okay, McDonald's wants more sustainable beef. How are we going to do that? And of course, me having had several glasses of red wine at the time, said, well, you could try paying them. (laughs) So uh, they, they looked at me kind of shocked and they said, pay them. And I said, well, you're asking them to change some of their practices, prove what they do, do some extra work. And, and you want to be able to tell good news to the consumers. And um, so I'd suggest that we work out some kind of a financial credit or reward for these producers. At any rate, um, I went on to become an advisor the, to the newly formed Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef, sitting on their verification committee, their chain of custody committee, which is an, a fancy way of saying traceability. Um, I also served on their business strategy committee and the marketing communications committee. So uh, I was there from the ground up when they built and defined what is sustainability. And the interesting thing is that there was probably 60 to 70 stakeholders around the table helping to define this. And I got taken to task by a number of producer organizations and producers why did we have animal rights activist group at the ta- groups at the table? Why did we have environmental groups at the table? We need, that's the only way a program like this survives is you bring those people to the table and you listen to them. they have we there are things we learned from them, and they learned an awful lot from us about animal agriculture and what we now call um, um a circular agricultural system. So I was really sad when we disbanded a lot of the committees where we were defining sustainability, because it meant I wasn't going to see a lot of these people that I had come to understand better and grown to like. And I think we did a huge service for the industry by sitting and explaining things to them. So we now in Canada have, um, um, a certified sustainable beef, um, framework, that we are, an, we are able to audit cattle operations to that framework and, uh, and, and attack or attach a label to the operation as to whether they're certified sustainable. So annually, they either have an on-farm visit or they have to produce documents. Uh, and then what my company does is we come in and we provide the chain of custody right back to the farm of origin So gate to plate is a registered trademark of ours. So we follow the cattle right through the supply chain to the point of harvest. And we become part of the supply chain for beef processors like uh, JBS Canada and Cargill. And they in turn sell that sustainable meat to to groups like McDonald's, who I mentioned earlier, um, Walmart, Loblaws, Cactus Club, if you ever eat at Cactus Club, they're a member of the Canadian Round Table, Chopped Steakhouse, very proud, very active members of this CRSB. Um, so I think that, uh, you know, everybody's just, all you have to do is Google Canadian Round Table for sustainable beef. So I, I want to point out we're the first country in the world to be able to put sustainable beef in the marketplace. And we are recognized as one of the global leaders in sustainable beef production. And as um, because we set that example, the Canadian Roundtable for S- Sustainable Crops was formed. Um, and we have a number of other industries going down the path. So what does it mean? Um, what our software does is not only do we track chain of custody, but we back up brand prompts assurance. So the days of where Stu and I talked about this the other day, uh, there's, there's a fast food establishment that says good food makes good food. What does that mean? What, what does that mean? Um, we really like to say that we can provide brand promise assurance with data um, and we want to uh, also add to the ecosystem services uh, in traceability, sustainability, animal welfare, social and environmental concerns. And we utilize our software solutions to provide provenance of other food products other than just beef, providing chain of custody, benchmarking of energy use in processing facilities, restaurants, uh, even in uh, farm operations, um, cost savings on energy use, understanding land use and carbon storage, understanding how to reduce emissions on our farm operations. so we provide a new, we're a neutral third party that can track and provide this data back to these companies and and so that leads into a whole nother topic of ESGs, which you've got to have data to back up
1: hey deb can can we stop you just for a moment i mean that that, that was great there's so much here to um digest, no pun intended, but, you know, it's this topic, particularly as it relates to sustainability, and uh, I know there's traceability, and you you made us do our our homework, and obviously I tried to do some reading, and, you know, you Google sustainable beef, and 36,800,000 things come up, literally, on a Google search, Um, and I couldn't seem to find any one I guess concrete definition. So I'm gonna I'm gonna ask if if it exists, and and for our listeners, what sustainable beef means, um, and then I wanna I wanna get into traceability a, a little bit, and I also wanna get your thoughts on. Sorry, I'm throwing a bunch out at you here, but I wanna get your thoughts on, you know, Canada being a lead nation or being first as it relates to this, because you know, there's an old saying. I don't know if we can say it anymore, but it was. You know, pioneers get the arrows, settlers get the land. So being first is not always what you want to be. So just curious to know your thoughts on on that. First of all, definition of sustainable beef, what that means um, being being sort of the the first question.
2: Okay. So in the in the early years, I said, what does sustainable beef mean? It's all about the people, the planet, the animals, and progress. So sustainability is a journey. It's not a state of being. It's not something that we uh, work towards. And then once we get there, we go, Oh, good, we're done. Because we're constantly progressing. Science will be giving us new information all the time. And we need to step up our game. So when I look at people, it's it's how do you treat your employees? It's how do you interact in your community? Um, It's, um, how you participate and bring people into something like this. What I'm what I'm doing right now. I'm advocating for sustainability and sustainable beef, and by working with you two, I hopefully am educating people a little more about about the desire of the industry to be sustainable. Um, next question. What was your next question that you were asking me?
1: Well, I asked a question about traceability versus sustainability. Okay and you know i know we're probably going to talk more about that but th- this whole notion of of kind of gate to plate
2: yeah so traceability so i have a sustainable operation Stu has a sustainable operation and des does so des and Stu have cow calf operations you raise the calf and he now needs to go into a, a high protein feedlot which everybody thinks is so terrible but they're highly regulated. Um, so you sell your calves to me and they go in there. Uh, I'm cert- I'm audited as a sustainable and both of you are as well. So now then it goes to the packing plant. So the packing plant's been audited for sustainability. But who understands enough to put that chain together? We only understand bits and pieces. So what you need is you need some kind of a traceability system. and And with livestock, it made sense to start out with electronic ID tags. So in Canada, you cannot move, sell, or do anything with an animal if it doesn't carry an EID tag. And, um, and the regulations are about to get really stiffened up here. Um, They've had it, the new regulations printed just before COVID, but they laid off during COVID, but it's going to get a lot stricter for cattle producers, and for all livestock producers, for that matter. It's, it's, How do we ensure the public, like we have the safest food systems in the world today, but people want more than that. They want to know how the animals were raised. Did they have hormones? Did they have antibiotics? Were they organic? Were they naturally raised? I mean, all of those are, they touch the heart. But what touches the brain and helps us to understand about our food systems? There's not a lot out there that that can give us that understanding.
0: So you you said that the um, that he, us here in Canada were that we the first at this. So there's uh, things obviously to learn and so forth. So when when you talk about traceability, um, and and you mentioned the the ID tag and uh, so all of these, I would imagine in, in the in the system, you can see what what uh, how they were brought up uh, the, the the livestock and. What kind of uh, if they were using hormones or any any kind of uh, fortification of uh, or what have you, all of that is is listed in the system?
2: It can be. Um, right now, we focus on sustainability, but there are definitely programs that are uh, EU certified. So to be EU certified, you can't use any hormones. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also antibiotic free and hormone free. Uh, so uh, there's a large feedlot just outside of Calgary that does all all different programs. Mm-hmm. So you start out with the never they call it the never ever program. The cattle are all natural; they've never had anything but feed forage. That's that's all they've ever had, and and vaccines. Vaccines are important, just like they're important to us. Um, we we had a, I had I have to laugh. I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but a cattle producer, we, we all religiously vaccinate our cattle for things like blackleg, hoof and mouth disease, uh, pneumonia. It's common practice in industry, and we know that cattle gain better, they're more efficient uh, when they've had these vaccines. So uh, we had a cattle producer whose son decided he was not going to get vaccinated for COVID. So they were doing their annual vaccinations. And the son has cattle and the dad has cattle. And so they ran all the dad's cattle through the chute and they vaccinated them all. And then they packed all of the medicines up and the dad started heading for the house. And the son said, whoa, whoa, whoa. No, no, we, we didn't vaccinate my cattle. And the dad said, oh, no, we aren't going to. What do you mean? Why aren't we? Ha-? He said, remember, you don't believe in vaccines. So I'm just going to take these vaccines all to the house and you let me know when you change your mind about vaccines. The next day the son was in and got vaccinated, which I found kind of humorous because I mean, I grew up in a generation where they came over the PA system and said, 4B, come to the gym, line up for your vaccinations. I don't even know if our parents signed for them. You went and lined up and, and uh, I was telling somebody that and you sat in the chair and you got your needle and you went back to class and somebody said, well, didn't the kids cry? Or, or, you know, rebel? I said, of course they did. They threw themselves on the floor. They kicked their heels. They cried. Some fainted. Well, what did they do? They skidded us into the chair and gave us a vaccination. <laughs> and then you went back to school. So, I mean, there's so many things that we, we have scared ourselves by, by um, I think social media has been a big part of, of questioning everything we do. It's, um, it, if you can't say it in so many characters, you know, nobody reads the, the beginning, the middle, and the end of a story anymore. Certainly. They just read the headlines. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's one of the reasons why we're, we're doing the pragmatics. It's, uh, exactly. we're, we're looking to, um, take certain subject matter and some some very, very important to, to all of our, our lives and try and get some literacy uh, going on, on these things. So, um... So the traceability and and uh, uh, so that that's interesting. So there's at the moment though, early in this game, it, it sounds like uh, we're still finding our way through procedures and protocols. So has there been any standards in 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 this? Uh, yeah,
2: if you if you go to the uh, Canadian Roundtable for Sustainable Beef website, and there is a Certified Sustainable Beef framework. And basically what all of the operations are audited against is that framework. Got it. And they're scored and there's certain, I think there's I think there's 34 or 36 groups of indicators that you're uh, audited for. and that means an on-farm audit. Now that became an issue during that means somebody actually coming on your farm um, or your feedlot. Uh, during COVID, that became a bit of an issue and, Uh, were nothing if not resourceful in the cattle industry. So they implemented uh, remote audits using iPads Mm. uh, and smartphones. And so the producers and their operations were audited to all the same standards and they would be things like, where do you store your medicine? What do you do with your sharps? What do you do with your expired meds? What do you do with your waste matter? What do you do with your manure? How do you handle your water? How do you manage your grass? Mm. It's all about, and, and I'm going to say 95% of Canadian producers will pass the audit with very few changes. But because we all go at it with a mindset that we want our place and our land to be better when we sell it or give it over to the next generation than when we took it over. Mm-hmm. So we become stewards of the land, farmers that raise livestock and crops. And I like to think at our company, we're data farmers. To help promote all of the good things that we can talk about. So, we're also now stepping into other industries, um, plant proteins, so pulse crops that are converted into plant or to protein powders. Um, we're tracing those, we're working with the canola industry, we're working with bio waste, so anything that's an organic waste matter um, that's being turned into something called biochar which can be used for a soil amendment to add more organic matter to your soil. It can be used as bedding for livestock for a number of other uses, but you wanna understand what was put into that biochar. You don't wanna be grinding up and and cooking down old railroad ties, treated lumber, that type of thing. So waste from construction sites, drywall can be used. all of that type of thing, any kind of organic waste from um, an urban area. Uh, so right out in Edmonton's industrial park, uh, there's all West demolition is already using our traceability system for their biochar. Uh, we're also just setting up to work with IRSI, uh, industrial waste, uh, I forget all what it stands for, but we'll be you know doing traceability and all of these things. And Stu, I, I think you got, the press release I sent you that just came out yesterday about us um, working with a dairy group uh, in the northeastern U.S. about doing full traceability from the raw milk on the farm right through to the time it's converted to milk powder mm-hmm. and even made into baby formula.
1: Right. Yeah, no, It. it uh, thanks for sending that along. And, and I, th- I find it incredibly interesting. And you know what, Deb, thanks for sending us the link to the CRSB website. I'd certainly encourage folks who are curious about sustainability to go onto that website. I think they do a great job um, not only defining sustainability, you know, but but also, you know, how, how they do it. And I, I know it's linked entirely to what you're doing at, at TrustBix, Deb. One of the things that Des and I talk about is, you know, just how much, you know, we enjoy a good steak, you know, for mm-hmm. us and, and the Fowler family, it's, you know, we do steak or, or beef on every Sunday night. And I can't imagine not doing that. Um, and I think sustainability is important because I don't want my beef to go anywhere. But there is a huge group out there that would actually be perfectly all right if the cattle uh, industry uh, disappeared altogether and we lived in a world with, with no animal proteins. Um, do you have any thoughts or feelings about that, Deb?
2: Well, the first argument that they usually lead with is that the cattle are eating crops that people could be eating. You, I'm sure you've all heard that, right? Mm-hmm. The problem is, is that um, the high quality crops currently today that, that, that are harvested in really good condition are for human consumption. What the, the livestock gets is it gets the crops that are not suitable for human consumption. So I'm not sure who would want to eat those lesser quality grains. Like when you drink your beer, it takes a good barley to make your beer. And if you've got a lesser quality barley, that becomes animal feed the other thing is we are currently today farming all the arable land we can in Canada and cattle graze for the most part on land that cannot be cultivated so they are in rough area they are very self-sufficient through the summertime we check them for health but on the whole they're grazing on on land and and you think back how our topsoil was created from organic matter and manure. And every year we grow a crop and we don't put organic matter back on the soil, uh, we're depleting our soils. It took us thousands of years to get topsoil. So we often comment and laugh that when you go out and feed cattle in an area in the wintertime and they eat that feed and there's a little bit of organic matter left and then they also make manure on that area, the next spring, that particular area is going to be a darker green and more productive than the area 30 feet away that you didn't feed on. Mm-hmm. So it's it's really great. That's what I talk about, the circular economy. I mean, God wasn't crazy when he created our environment and the circularity of it.
1: Certainly. God is episode
0: 10. Yeah, we, we got to work ourselves <laughs> up to that one. <laughs>
2: Okay, the powers that be, how's that sound?
0: <laughs> well, there's no, there's no doubt, you know, Stu, you bring up a, a very good question about, uh, you know, there's, uh, there's many industries that are just being uh, hammered by, um, you know, folks that are, you know, alarming the populations, uh, running with very, very poor information. Uh, easy information that, uh, that can really, really take uh, uh, some gullible folks and, and really get them not only frightened, guilty, y- completely alarmed, and that's the society we're living in. So one of the reasons why, you know, it was good to, to have you on is really to address some of these things about what the industries are doing, specifically, you know, uh, livestock and so forth, and the whole food system, so we can, you know, get some, uh, some rationale back into the, into the conversation. Um, I don't think the, uh, the beef, pork and poultry industries, you know, the dense meat, uh, industries are, are going to go away, but wow, what a battle that, uh, that, that we're seeing out there with the information. And, you know, you mentioned the social media.
2: To, to, today, two, two press releases came across my feed today. Um, Maple Leaf in Canada is, is pretty much, uh, tossing in the towel on their plant protein division. And JBS Canada, or sorry, JBS USA has shut down their plant protein division. So they've wow. laid off something like 120 people. And their plant in Denver that they just built two years ago is going to be setting idle. So the hockey stick effect that they expected um, from the consumers never happened. Mm-hmm. So it's a pre- pretty good indication. Yeah. And the other thing I would, I would say to your listeners is... There's a, a Dr. Sangeeta Sharma, a woman at the University of Alberta, who's done studies on the effects of feeding dense meat, uh, animal protein to children. Her stance is if you're raging, raising your child as a vegetarian or a vegan, you should be charged with um, all neglect to children or cruelty to children. She said it is critical to the growth phase in children that in the first 10 to 12 years of their life, they need to get that dense meat for brain development. So you might ask, what does that mean? How much beef? Doesn't mean you have to feed them beef every day, but about four ounces of beef three times a week makes all the difference in the world to how your child's brain develops.
0: Certainly. Willing to uh, to look at that study? Is that is that a study that's been completed, or is being? Oh yeah, yet? it's
2: it's been around for a while. Okay,
0: yeah. well that's something we'll definitely you know we we do have uh, our our uh, Twitter and uh, other other page that we have you know we like to be able to talk about these things, but also bring up the source material. So we'll tell the li- listeners they can they can see that, and so we'll we'll source that from you. And yeah, we'll, we'll sure. post that on the Pragmatics uh, Twitter site. Yeah,
1: we'll chase that down. Um, Deb, one of the maybe last couple of minutes, one of the questions I, I had was, you know, the cost of sustainability or traceability to the average consumer. You know, you, you, you've said a number of times, and it, I, I think it's I think it's good to hear that we have one of the safest food supplies in the world. I mean, just in and of itself, that statement should make people feel good or, or comfortable at least. Um, but there must be a cost to that. Do, do we know from a consumer standpoint um, what the premium is for that safe food chain or food supply?
2: Well, it depends on what country you're in. Well,
1: but, but I mean, here important. in Canada, yeah, like Canada. Do, do, okay. do we pay yeah. a premium? I was going
2: to say, if you go to Hong Kong, it doubles the price of the beef. Here in Canada, I'm going to say that it might increase the price by pennies per pound. Okay. Um. But I have to say that we have a entitled population. It's an expectation of doing business at this point in time. And it's a way for uh, when you look at, I was just reading the other day, JBS Global has just appointed a chief, a global chief sustainability officer. At this point in time, when they're going to be required to meet ESG requirements, that the cost of of producing that sustainable meat is not as big an issue as the fact that it's gonna be an expectation of doing business. And my consumers don't just expect the food to be safe and to meet regulatory, um, to meet regulations. I expect to understand how it was raised. And when I buy that food in the grocery store, I wanna be able to put it on my plate and know that nobody was treated badly. I didn't damage the earth. The animal had the best life it could possibly have while it was alive so I can cut into my Sunday steak and enjoy what I'm eating without guilt and and the, the crazy part is and Des says it very well that there's groups out there that want to make you feel guilty about everything you do everything every day it mm-hmm. depends on their yeah. agenda they just pick their agenda
1: Des and I grew up Catholic so we pretty much kept, kept... we understand the guilt we thing. get the guilt we got it <laughs>
2: I've never noticed it. in either of you. Well, well, it's subtle. It's there, though.
0: <laughs> well, we've been able to shake a little bit of it.
2: Well, a tad,
1: a tad, but it's it's always hanging around. It comes up at the most inopportune times. I got to be honest.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Deb, what was good about the the uh, the discussion is uh, people will know by listening to you today that uh, there are uh, you know organized efforts to do all the things that and uh, you know product like you said, being sustainable, being safe, um, and a history, an auditable history, uh, from, like you say, from, from gate to plate. And I think, uh, uh, most people probably didn't know that, um, until, you know, uh, Stu and I started talking about your, uh, uh, your endeavor here. I, I wasn't aware that this, uh, this type of a program processes and, uh, you know, these solutions were, were, were at, at, you know, happening. So um, uh, I think this is a a real good subject that uh, we can probably come back to you at some point in in time and uh, get you back on and and talk about some of the progress that's happening here in Canada.
2: Well, I think, I think one thing that you need to investigate a little more is the changes that is coming uh, in the ESG reporting for publicly traded companies. And that's, that's coming, on us fast. Like we have about 18 months to figure it out and uh, 24 months to comply. Mm-hmm. And, so, and,
1: and Deb, maybe for our, our audience, our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with ESG or what that means, yep. maybe just a, a quick minute on that.
2: So, sustainability basically has morphed into environmental, social, and governance issues. So, there is there could be up to 150 things on your scorecard as a company. Uh, and I just sat through a meeting today with a company that Des. This will be near and dear to your heart. They're providing um, ESG software to measure a company's ESG in a very uh, compliant and easy to understand way, and they are doing a lot of work in the oil and gas industry.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, th- that's the world that I I live in. We're we're you know stuck right in in the, uh, the ESG. Uh, landscape as well. It's it's a big part of uh, uh, of our business, and and you're right. It, it's coming at us at a pretty good pace. Um, so if if somebody hasn't heard of ESG, I'd be a little surprised. But it it's definitely uh, it's upon us. And those of us that are uh, publicly traded, and we have to deal with uh, you know the added governance issues. Uh, ESG is definitely one of them. Well, yeah. and I, and, yeah. I, and I think as it
1: relates to you know a, a topic downstream is you know, whether it's traceability, sustainability, ESG, they all cost money, right? And they all need to be managed and governed and ultimately enforced. And that cost is ultimately borne by the, the consumer. consumer. So, you know, who pays for this wonderfully, you know, regulated world? Well, well we do. So, you know, may, maybe downstream we'll, we'll, we'll reengage as as... So,
2: so Stu, all I'm going to say is we need to embrace data we need to embrace the existing platforms that will integrate and share that key information and be able to take that data and prove and support our ESG report cards. And our goal as a company and, and, and the company I met I was in a meeting with this morning is to make this as simple and pain-free as possible.
1: Amen. Amen.
2: Yeah. All right. Well,
0: I think uh, I think we've done uh, everybody listening uh, a service here. Uh, Deb, thanks for coming on with us.
2: Thank you for having me.
0: We're we're going to get you back for sure. I think the progress of this is is uh, is important. So, uh, yeah, it
1: was great, Deb. And we we you know not only are we grateful for you being on the on the podcast, we would encourage uh, anybody listening who's interested in sustainability and 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 traceability to go to trustbix.com. Have a read or go to the CRSB website. I think that's a, a great one as well. And, um, you know, educate yourself, learn a little bit about what's, uh, on your plate and how it got there.
0: Terrific.
2: Good. It's Friday afternoon. I'm going to go finish my wine. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right,
0: Deb. Thank you so much. Thanks, Deb. Okay.
2: okay. Thanks. Take gentlemen. care. Have a great weekend. Bye-bye. Happy Thanksgiving. Yes. Same to you. Cheers. Thank you.
1: All right. We're back. Well, hey, again, I want to uh, I want to thank Deborah Wilson for coming on the show and giving us a, a little bit of an education on traceability and sustainability and the great stuff that Trust Bix is, is doing. A little bit about the agri-food uh, market and space. Uh, I, for one, found it very educational. I think I came away with, or I know I came away with more more questions than I started with, but um, I think that's kind of the purpose of the show here, Des. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what were your thoughts?
0: Well, obviously the the um, you know the whole thought of uh, the solution, the the data, all of that you know has positives. Um, I'm I'm just wondering where where does it go? Does everybody uh, in Canada that is raising livestock? does it become absolutely mandatory to be a part of this kind of a program or is it a, you know, is it, uh, you know, an election, uh, you know, does, does, does McDonald's elect to be a part of this and it's part of their, uh, um, informing their customer and giving a, 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 a benefit of, of, uh, all this knowledge of gate to plate type thing, uh, and is there a you know is there a uh, is there a sub uh, livestock producer out there that's not part of it, and uh, you know what I'm saying? I, I do, yeah. I do. I mean. Look, I, I,
1: you, you take the, and I, I don't know the numbers specifically, and, and and, maybe it's something we do a bit of research on for our next show, but if you take the, you know, there there are large producers and mid-sized producers and small producers mm-hmm. like like any industry, and I would think the small producers are already um, at risk of going under with, with increased costs and inflation, and if they are all of a sudden uh, mandated to, you know, employ, you know, Certification for Sustainability uh, and other types of things to their, um, you know, to their cattle or, or poultry or chicken. Um, at what cost? And, and how do they survive? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because like I said, the, these things don't come without cost, right? Bureaucracy costs money. Mm-hmm. Bureaucrats cost money.
0: Boy, do they ever. Yeah, man. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, you know uh, it's an industry that has a tremendous amount of technology in it, but there are you know family farm producers mm-hmm. that 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 aren't you know tech savvy. Not everything is uh, you know uh, you know users of technology on the farm. Uh, you know I, I don't want to be uh, naive to the fact uh, I, I watched it in 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 our in our business twenty years ago where you know people in the in the the oil and gas uh, services sector you, you'd see some 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 family single proprietor based operations and you know when the whole technology came in with uh, with all of the portals and what have you to, to your safety programs and everything got really uh, tech based and not everybody was was an IT freak you know and sure. uh, or or had the uh, the background to be able to adopt some of these technologies uh, uh, quickly. Having said that, the industry did. Mm-hmm. You know, and
1: do you think in 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 this instance the industry is better off because of it?
0: Um, yes. Uh, in 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 certain ways. Uh, having said that, in in our world, the the safety uh, component of of, of our world it has gotten so big, it's, it's an industry within an industry, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. so there, there is, there is some balance needed. Uh, having said that, um, you know, I just wonder is, does this go down the path, uh, that we talked about with Deb, does this go down the path where there's more than one class of, of livestock breeding where, uh, you know, they've opted into this, uh, the sustainability and traceability and auditability and what have you. And then there's maybe a uh, a livestock breeder uh, that is doing things outside of that. And mm-hmm. is there two classes of product after that? Yeah, and you would think
1: that there's already two classes of products if there are certain producers and, and retailers that have uh, started to advertise or promote sustainable beef. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you and I both know that there are all, all kinds of places where we go and eat and shop that don't talk about sustainability. So I think it's mm-hmm. it's probably already started. Um, and like any business, you know, the, those producers are going to have to decide if there's an advantage to it, and if, in fact, they're willing to pay for that advantage. Mm-hmm.
0: And, um, and and the, the customer, are they going to... 100 know ...willing to... Uh, you know, pay twenty five dollars for something that uh, that gives them all that uh, traceability and and transparency, if you want to call it that. And uh, you know, somebody's out there willing to pay nineteen fifty for that same thing, but uh, that all be a mystery. Yeah, hundred percent. And it's
1: it's you know we, we we will get to, and we try to keep the listener and the audience in mind as we as we go through this. And when I say I get to it, I mean the consumer and its impact or um, our topics their impact on the consumer is what what we're trying to keep front and center here. And, you know, whether it's sustainable beef, electronic vehicles, or organic wine des, you know, for the most part, all of those three things I just described cost more. Mm-hmm. Right. And, you know, at at what point does the consumer say, I,
0: I can't I can't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Um or, or there's people out there that just enjoy the taste of DEET. Yeah, that's, that's possible too.
1: And, 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 you know, on that, um, you know, on that thread or at least the thread of guilt, um, (laughs) I don't know what the cost of guilt is. I've never, I don't know that there's a elasticity to it, but
0: still, we've been paying for it all.
1: (laughs) I guess, I guess you're right. But, you know, I don't know at what point my guilt, um, You know that elasticity snaps. Am I willing to pay nineteen fifty for a for a strip loin? But twenty twenty five is you know no, like honestly, I I know we're being somewhat facetious, but um, you know cost is real, right?
0: And it is now. I mean, uh, look what we've been dealing with uh, certainly for the last year. Um, You know, inflation, interest rates, everything is is going up in in warp speed right now uh you know adding on costly programs and what have you at a time like this is going to be interesting to see if there is uh, no pun intended an appetite yeah you know yeah, no it's yeah it's anyway folks what we would like you to do if there's uh anything question wise uh uh we can talk uh, to deb uh about uh, some of these things after this show but you know get a hold of us on on our linkedin or or twitter uh communicate with us uh, there uh you know, if there's anything you you heard here on this program, uh, talk to us over those mediums, and uh, we'd we'd love to com- communicate uh, more about this. Anyway, Stu, we 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 fooled around here a little bit about talking about uh, Alberta's new premier. Mm-hmm. Do you? Uh, wh- what do you think? I mean, uh, obviously, we you know we're all ex-Albertans, and we're 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 interested in what's happening back in the province. What what do you get from
1: this? Yeah. Well, once an Albertan, always an Albertan. So yeah. I'm not really an ex-Albertan, Des, nor, nor are you. Um, uh, you know, maybe keeping Daniel Smith out of the, you know, direct or, you know, precise conversation. Um, I feel good about the fact that Alberta's right, you know, right of center, at least, is is united. or mm-hmm. seemingly getting close to uniting. Maybe that's a little too soft. Um I I think some of the things that she espouses or stands for are, you know, maybe not quite ready for for prime time. Maybe you know those edges need to be need to be rounded out a bit. But um, but by and large, I feel I feel very good about it.
0: Yeah, uh, and I do too. I, I think uh, there's no doubt. Uh, there's been some banter about uh, you know certain strengths and weaknesses from her. Um, you know, obviously. Uh, you know, I remember when, when we had uh, Jason Kenney uh, coming in, you know, getting the leadership and talking to other conservative-minded mind- folks, and they're saying, geez, you know, is Kenney our guy? And, and uh, you know, I always thought, you know, that really isn't the issue right now. He may not be our guy, but what we really needed to do was get the NDP out of government, and that right. was really the issue. Um, today is, it's a different situation. You know, Kenny is, uh, uh, found himself with very, very little support, uh, enough where he said he was going resi- to resign. So here we are today. Um, one thing about, uh, uh, positive that I, that where I see, uh, Danielle is, uh, first of all, she's foremost a libertarian. Mm-hmm. And, uh, to me, that's a great starting point. I look at myself as a, uh, fiscally-minded conservative with a high libertarian bent. I'm a a small government guy. Yeah, yeah, no. You know, and we're living in times where... (laughs) We're living in times where um, the last 30, 40 years, government has done nothing but just get bigger. And especially under our our, our current federal government, it's just uh, some of these uh, 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 employment figures they're saying, you know, Canada's uh employment figures over the last while has has been they've been very good. Mm-hmm. Uh I, I believe it was the Fraser Institute uh got to the bottom of it. Ninety percent of Canada's uh positive in employment figures were Canadian federal employees being hired en masse. <laughs> well that's well, that's both tel- telling and, and incredibly disturbing. Well, it is, you know, uh, especially when uh, not long ago when, when CERB and everything got uh, rolled out and so forth, uh, at the same time they had a hire for 20-some-odd thousand uh, um, CRA uh, field soldiers to, to go out there and, and deal with that. So uh, n- kind of no different than what uh, the U.S. is doing. I think they're, they're, they've got... Uh, A huge hire out for uh, for the IRS. So anyway, digressing here, uh, you know, small government good, uh, big government bad is uh, is where I stand. Well, and 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 I
1: I I like just on I I know I didn't say or I said I wouldn't talk about Danielle directly, but I do like what I see, and I you know what, frankly, I liked her ten years ago when when you know when she first you know came under the Wild Rose into the spotlight uh, with Wild Rose, yeah, and I I think. much like another one of my favorite politicians, Michelle Rempel, I think I think Danielle can, you know, she she can give uh, Justin uh, a run for his money. Granted, there we're talking provincial versus federal, but but you know, Alberta needs to, you know, needs to stand up strong.
0: Yes, there's some fortification that Alberta needs to do. Whether uh, you know that's that's up for uh, for a discussion, disagreement, uh, discourse. Uh, I, I'll invite it, um, but Alberta has been. Uh, uh, really, really set aside in Confederation. I think um, uh, when Alberta has been prospering over history uh, and everybody's doing well, uh, the Confederation or the equalization situation uh, uh, was always looked at as, well, we're okay with it. It, Mm -hmm. It might be, you know, a little unfair or what have you, but generally speaking, we're all prosperous, everything's moving in the right direction, and we're okay with it. Um, It's when other provinces, uh, you know, and specifically, uh, and and not limited only to, but when Quebec speaks up and says, there is no license for any pipeline to come through our province. That's when, you know, Albertans start to think, hmm, this uh, equalization confederation arrangement, uh, now this doesn't work. Because uh, prosperity uh, on the backs of the production of the economy out of Alberta is funding uh, quite directly in, in case uh, uh, Quebec. Yeah, man. And, and, you know, when, when we have other provinces barricading the prosperity by not allowing pipelines to go west or east or what have you, but have no problem enjoying in the prosperity of the equalization, that's when Albertans think, okay, this deal isn't good anymore. Right. Right, and that's where Alberta is right now. You know, when you talk about uh, Danielle, you know, ten years ago, uh, a completely different set of variables are in place today, right? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, I'm interested to see how she she navigates this. Um, I I kind of wish that Alberta would would take out some of uh, some of the plays from Quebec's play playbook and and start start fortifying the province a little more and getting themselves into a better position to deal with Ottawa. Uh, which I, I hope I was looking for Kenny to do when he came in at the start and he didn't
1: yeah and, and to your point I mean there's there's probably a variety of reasons that it looks different today than it did when he came into power or when Danielle Smith was around ten years ago but I, I think you're bang on and and you know there was a Quebec election recently as well as you as you mm-hmm. as you know and the the National Assembly looks pretty pretty similar to what it looked like before but but to your point on um, sort of provincial mandates and 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 focus. I think you know we we're, we're living in a, a place in time, des where you know the, the the provinces need to stand up for themselves. Quebec always has, but they've reiterated most recently with the election results that they they will. They they there was even as you know in in a number of articles, commentary Around you know an appetite for separation again, so you know we are living in a time where I think we've all learned in the last seven or eight years the federal government, outside of handing out free money, is not doing a very good job looking after our our our, our country mm-hmm. citizens. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think it'll be
0: interesting. I yeah, the next
1: several years is going to be very
0: interesting. Yeah, it is, uh, and and you know, like you and I have talked about uh, one of the one of the things that. Uh, many in Canada feel we're, we're and I think there's, there's a change in mood here federally, right, um, is, is the, uh, where we are economically, and I'm not talking about the situation that we're in right now with high interest rates, that, that's, that's another subject matter, but we've been taken down the path where all of the things that Canada is really, really good at, and and much of it because we're such a resource-based uh, uh, mm-hmm. country, um, you know, we're we're extremely good at extracting minerals, oil and gas, and so forth. In fact, we're the best ethically and environmentally in the world at it. Um, and of course, that's the largest contributor, certainly the energy sector, to the coffers or the treasury mm-hmm. of, of federal and provincial. Um, you'd think that after the pandemic prior to the pandemic canada was about 480 billion in debt now we're one po- or 1.3 trillion and you'd think that if we we're good at anything we'd be promoting the hell out of it at the moment because we need to get our fiscal or uh, fiscal uh, condition back in in into a point where uh, we're, we're not going to lose some ground here uh, interest rates are going up all that debt service i mean all it does is spell tremendous taxation Mm -hmm. right and nobody is doing anything about it so i'm i'm thinking there's some there's there's some uh there's some change in the mood here federally uh obviously the the conservatives have a have a new leader now and and uh he he's gotten you know some pretty terrific support i i hope it's enough
1: yeah i i do too i mean for for all the reasons that you know um it probably isn't a surprise to you or, or, or anybody who is paying attention that the media, the mainstream media is already attempting to malign and undermine Polyev and what he's doing and and, and what he stands for. Or or maybe maybe more accurately just distract people from what he's doing and, and what he stands for. Mm-hmm. Because I agree, Des, I think there there is a a growing appetite for change and not just small C change, but I mean, away from what we've been told and what we're paying for today, which includes some of the things we talked about already, because, you know, the the consumers or the citizens' pockets are not bottomless, unlike the federal government's appetite to tax. You know, we only have so much money. We got to put food on the table. We got to keep gas in the car. Mm -hmm. You know, we want to take our two or three or four weeks vacation a year, um, and ideally get out of this, you know, frozen wasteland in the winter. But it, it's becoming increasingly diff- difficult to do that, Des. I mean, for the average citizen, it's just becoming really hard to, to, to thrive in this company, in this, I keep saying company, country. hmm
0: yeah, no doubt it's uh, that's why I think there's there's, there's a mood for, for change. And I mean, you know uh, I was talking to some people in the financial community here in the last couple of weeks and looking at some of the data here in Canada, um, the, the policy that Trudeau has brought in uh, right across the resource sector has basically shunned investment into Canada. Not only that, the numbers of, Canadians investing in Canada, all their all the money is is not being invested. It's going other other places worldwide, mm-hmm. other opportunities. So now we have a situation where there's been a capital exodus, and even Canadians are unwilling to invest in Canada. So that that that's a hell of a vote, right? I to- to- totally agree, and right. can absolutely understand and accept why that's happening. Mm-hmm. So when we have legislation like the C-69s and C-48s and the things that, you know, cer- certainly C-69, that we'll never see a large interprovincial pipeline built under C-69. Uh, Site C, the hydro dam that's being built uh, up in uh, northeastern BC, something like that will never be built again under C-69. And I, I, I don't know where, how you, you continue with a growing modern society, without being able to increase your infrastructure. You know, yeah. you know uh, th- these these C69 basically puts the the environmental reporting and regulatory uh, demands, there's so much of it, that projects that would have taken six, eight years to get approved and then you start building are pushing them out to 11, 13 years. Well, you could have... Uh, two, three economic cycles up and down inside of that. So no private money is going to put up with that, mm-hmm. right? No, absolutely not. Thus, a, a capital exodus. And I don't know how you, you, you grow an economy, um, infrastructure and so forth without investment.
1: Well, if you figure it out, Des, you're... Um... I'll
0: get right back to you. Well, <laughs>
1: episode number five.
0: Anyway, folks. Um, well, this brings us to uh, you know, this is the back end of the the, the episodes too. This is number three, right? This is number three, and well, we're getting
1: good at this. Typically, my my favorite part, not not that I like ending the the podcast, because I rather enjoy uh, having a chat with you, Des, and talking to our guests. But but I also enjoy a nice uh, big fat glass of red wine.
0: Yes, and cheers to. Cheers, man. Here's to episode. Episode three, and what we're drinking here today. Go ahead. What were we going to say?
1: No, I was just stuttering to myself. You go,
0: blathering and stuttering. Well, what we've got here today, and you know, as our uh, previous episodes, we like to tie into uh, and give a plug to a really good uh, uh, bottle of wine. Usually, they're they're very good value, and uh, we're going to stray outside of BC today. What? This one's from Paso Robles California. I'm a sucker for california wines obviously but uh yeah yeah well big juicy reds yeah this one and you know go to uh go to uh, our twitter and uh and uh linkedin site and you'll see you'll see this bottle of wine and we we're we're encouraging you to try it out it's grano a grano it's a cab sav from Paso robles and and the connection here is we we've got a uh a friend of ours uh in fact, you, know, you and I both know him from, from two different sort. You, you met him in, in, in your your travels in, in, in my
1: previous yeah. life, yeah. And then in your and then professional you. life, totally, right. yeah. yeah.
0: And then uh, uh, I got introduced through uh, one of our childhood friends that knew him for different reasons and what have you. But it was interesting that uh, we both, and that, and that was like nineteen early nineties, hey. Eh?
1: Totally got my first briefcase. It was it was going way back. <laughs> Samsonite, hard case, of course.
0: Yeah. Anyway, our good friend David uh, has been uh, in the wine agency business now for, uh, you know, going on two decades. And this is one of his labels. Uh, it's Grano, Grano It's a cab salve from Paso Robles, uh, California. And uh, uh, we've consumed quite a bit of it. It's a it's beautiful. It, it's on the shelf for, you know, 20 $22, sometimes less than that. It's unbelievable value. Look for the photo uh, on, on our LinkedIn and page and, and Twitter page. And
1: anyway, we're going to enjoy this. I think it's a big, delicious red. Um, you can enjoy it with anything or you can just sip it because it's it's
0: that good. So
1: thanks, Dave. Keep, uh, keep up the good work, my friend.
0: Yeah, we're going to look for uh, for more varietals under that Grano Agrano, uh label from him. So all the best to Dave and success with his new label. Thanks, folks, for Episode 3. Stay tuned for more. Yes, thanks, guys. Ciao.